Good morning. My honor to uh, read from God's Word today. Today we will be reading from Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. Hear now the reading of God's Word. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry and he and his companions? How he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for priests alone? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. You would have not condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And departing from there, he went into their synagogue, and behold, a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other. But going out, the Pharisees took counsel together against him as to how they might destroy him. church family. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. You know, as I picture those disciples plucking heads of grain from the outskirts of a field to ease their hunger, I remember my mother telling me on more than one occasion the experiences that she had as um, a school cook. She had a, a front row seat in that job to the reality that America has a lot of hungry kids. We tend to not think of it, but, but it is so. And decades ago, my mom would try to give some of those hungry kids leftover food after lunch had been served. You can just picture grade schoolers shyly standing, you know, in front of the, the door into the kitchen, peeking in, wearing worn clothes and hunger on their faces. 
And, and my, my mom was told that um, by her bosses that the extra food, um, and there was always a lot of it, the, the extra food was, was not to be given to the kids um, and not to be taken home for the families because the law um, for, for, forbade that. It wasn't allowable. The U.S. Department of Agriculture laws that controlled things like food safety and theft, that sort of thing, well-intended laws, um, however well-intended in practice, actually prevented hungry kids, hungry families from, from having those needs met. And I know there were, there were times in, in my mom's uh, job uh, where her job was on the line because she, she tended to favor the hungry kids over this, this sort of wooden, you know, rigid adherence to rules about food. Even, even the best laws uh, can cloud our judgment when they're interpreted rigidly, um, wrongly, without compassion, without common sense. I think I've already told you about the, the, the police officer in Colfax, Washington, many years ago, who was so zealous to enforce that city's traffic laws. You got to keep those college kids from WSU from speeding through Colfax and, or their parents speeding through town to get to their kids. And so this, this traffic officer pulled over an ambulance. Um, he stopped an ambulance um, on its way to the hospital uh, with a patient in, in I, I assume, dire need. That's why the person was in an ambulance anyway. And the, the, the officer had such a rigid interpretation of traffic law, uh, that, that common sense, uh, let alone compassion for human need, um, was ignored. And, and in Matthew 12, and you've had plenty of time to look up Matthew 12 now. Um, in Matthew 12, we're reminded that the, the Jewish Pharisees were really the uh, first century Palestine's USDA and traffic cops combined. That, that, that was their deal. Um, they were the rigid rule enforcers who told people how they must keep God's moral and ceremonial laws uh, in order to be square with God. That, that was the point of it. And so we read, says Matthew, that Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. That's the issue, the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry. And they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And, and when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And, and that was always their question, these Pharisees. Is it lawful? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? We'll, we'll get to that one. Is it lawful to give a tax to Caesar? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? I mean, how, how do we get out of this marriage thing if we want out of it? Is it lawful was always the question. The question was never, what is God's heart for his people? So these Pharisees pushed others onto um, the, this cold, callous legalism uh, that put them on a collision course with Jesus. And so we see here in Matthew 12 such a collision. 
Uh, Matthew tells us, first of all, of, of, of a great uh, defiance. The, the Pharisees are, are defiant when it comes to the, the true heart of God and his law. And then Matthew is going to show us Jesus' defense. And it's a great defense because it's not only his defense of uh, himself and his disciples before the Pharisees, but it is our defense against legalism. We're going to want to know what that is. And then he'll give us a demonstration. What does it look like to honor the, the law of God, to honor the heart of God's law as we follow Jesus? You with me? All right. So what, what is the great defiance of these Pharisees? Well, legalism defies the heart of God. Um, the, the very God these Pharisees claim to love and serve with their rigid rule-keeping uh, stands before them now in Galilee. Don't, don't miss that part. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He, he is the lawgiver, if you will. And they not only fail to recognize Jesus for who he is, they, they reject him because they just don't see in his behavior their preconceived notions of what God is like. And what a great defiance this is. We, we can define this, put a finer point on it, I suppose. Legalists prefer rules about God more than God himself. Legalists prefer rules about God more than people made in his image. It's all about the rules. And this particular collision between Christ and the, the curmudgeons of, of ancient Judaism relates to one of the Ten Commandments. Remember, the fourth commandment simply states, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Note, note the wording, to keep it holy. You don't make it holy, it is holy. And then the heart of God for this, this Sabbath or, or this rest, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of Yahweh, your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female slave or your cattle or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. How many of you know God did not, at creation, need rest? God does not today need rest. He, he created you and he created me to need rest. The need for rest is not caused by your sin. The need for rest is not caused by your weakness. The need for rest is caused by your humanity. And you all have it. And so do I, this need for rest. But we, we prefer to pretend that's not so, some of us. So God gives us Sabbath rest as a mandate for our benefit. This, this need to be refreshed in him, this need to set aside, 
normal weekday activities and worship him and, and trust that we really do receive from him what we, what we most desperately need as, as his people. What a, what a gracious provision the Sabbath is for God's people. And, and, and you know, fast forward to the time of, of the Pharisees and, and you almost get the sense that they had tried to figure out, well, how can we make this blessing a misery? How can we make it awful? Because we all know God is mostly concerned that some of his people somewhere are having a good time and, and enjoying their relationship with him, and, and we just can't have that. God made the Sabbath holy at creation. It's a creation ordinance. In other words, its, its origin is not even in the law of Moses. It's, it's before that. That this rhythm of rest is in creation itself, and it, it applies for all of humanity. Just, just like marriage, by the way, is a creation ordinance. It belongs to God for man's blessing. And again, the Sabbath in God's economy already is holy. He has declared it so. So, so God's people are simply to honor its holiness. We don't create that. We honor it for its intended purpose, rest, worship, being refreshed in the Lord, being attentive to the things that are dear to the heart of God for his people. Well, the Pharisees over the centuries had figured out that if you added hundreds and hundreds of descriptions of how one keeps the Sabbath you'd have a better shot at actually keeping the Sabbath. So they get props for, for, for good intention maybe way back when, but it had all gone badly wrong. Uh, many of these additional rules for Sabbath keeping that they came up with um, conflicted. Kind of like feed needy kids, don't waste tax money can be in conflict if, if common sense isn't applied to it. 234 categories of Sabbath prohibitions. The very word Sabbath means rest, but for ancient Jews, it was far harder to rest on the Sabbath than it was to work the other six days of the week. It's very complicated, very laborious. And how many of you know legalism always leads to this? It's actually exhausting. What are we, what are we supposed to be doing? What am I supposed to make sure you're not doing? Sabbath or not, what was the heart of God for hungry travelers, or for the poor? There were no food banks. There were no maverick stations, no McDonald's. And so these disciples who have left everything to follow Jesus, they have nothing with which to satisfy their hunger on this particular Sabbath, walking in Galilee, gleaning a, binge, a, a, a little bit of lunch from the periphery of, of, of the fields of grain. And, and God's own description of the law allowed them to do that. Don't, don't miss that. Deuteronomy 23 says this, when you enter your neighbor's vineyard, then you may eat grapes until you are fully satisfied but you shall not put any in your basket. 
When you enter your neighbor's standing grain, then you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not wield a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. This is God's heart of compassion. Hungry, needy people were shown charity, were, were to be shown real help, not just lip service, but they were only to pick enough to satisfy their hunger. Um, no, no filling your pockets, no, no filling your purse for later. So my grandmother, who would fill her purse with the crackers that used to be left on the tables of restaurants. Remember why restaurant, Remember when restaurants used to do that? You know why they don't anymore? My grandmother <laughs> would fill her purse with those crackers. Um, what, what really upset, some of you are like looking at me like, that's wrong, you're not supposed to do that? That's between you and God. That's where we're going. Um, what, what do the Pharisees do? What, what, what's really the issue is not the plucking of grain. It's that it happens on the Sabbath. Plucking grain is reaping. Rubbing it with your hands to get the, the fuzzy stuff off. Uh, that's winnowing. Uh, reaping and winnowing, that's work. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. What's the deal with these disciples of Jesus? And legalism always does this. Legalism raises man-made rules to the level of biblical mandates. Don't drink wine. God hates people that drink wine because he tells us not to get drunk. And that's how we got the silly notion that Jesus didn't actually turn water into wine. He turned it into Welch's grape juice. Um, not from concentrate, the, the good stuff. Legalism, though, imposes religious preferences, traditions on other people as, as an act of spiritual superiority. Be sure to homeschool your kids. Don't, don't dare let anybody else do that. That's the, the least spiritual thing you can do no matter what your circumstances. Don't play cards. Don't date girls that do. The, the, the mafia people, they played cards. Look, Al Capone, all his guys. Look where that led. And, you know, we laugh at this stuff. But here's the thing. The gospel keeps us on the narrow way. I read that somewhere. The constricted way that leads to life. And it does so avoiding the pitfalls of legalism on the one hand and license on the other. Those are our two defaults apart from the grace of God, legalism or license. And so here come the Pharisees. They're already jealous and hateful toward Jesus, asking their familiar question, is it lawful? Is it lawful? Missing altogether the salient question, is it kind? Does it actually reflect the heart of God for his people? That's a better question. The law of God, the moral law of God in particular, reflects his nature, reflects his heart for his people. You read in Deuteronomy that God told Moses to tell his people, look, I gave you this law that it may go well with you. This is the best life you can have. 
And we, and we might be tempted to say within ourselves, are you still listening? We, we might be tempted to say within ourselves, well, I, I'm so glad I'm not like those Pharisees. I mean, I'm, I'm so glad I don't get hung up on stuff like that. Um, but legalism is an insidious thing. It, it, it sneaks into our thinking. Legalism is just as common as license in Christian community. Why? Because either one of those extremes is where you end up if you're not walking with Jesus on the narrow way. We, we tend to fight legalism with license, don't we? But we don't need God's law. We're grace people. But we also tend to fight license with legalism. Sit up straight. Don't laugh. You're at church. It's supposed to be somber. Don't anybody have fun at church? That sort of thing. What are the mantras of, of Christianized legalism in our day? Well, you, you don't have to look far. You know, one, one church says we use the King James version of the Bible. Not the updated one, the old one. So should all, that's the one Jesus used, right? <laughs> really? Really? You listen to NPR? How could you possibly be a Christian? I mean, Jesus would never listen to public radio. Not in this administration, he would not. <laughs> Everyone knows God is a Republican. And not, not a moderate one, a real one, right? No. No. But those things become measures that can be imposed on other people of where they're at spiritually. George Whitfield, in, in a sermon he preached from Luke's gospel on, on the Pharisee and the tax collector, put it this way. He says, we are all self-righteous by nature. It is as natural for us to turn to a covenant of works as for the sparks to fly upwards. The gospel rescues us from this besetting tendency. And that's what Jesus is confronting now with these Pharisees. Do we really serve a God who refuses to feed the hungry because it's a Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath? Did, did, did God intend for his law to be an impossible burden placed upon his people uh, that, that actually ignored human need, something as basic as, as, as hunger. Well, Jesus has already answered that question, hasn't he? Hasn't he? It goes faster if you just, you know, cooperate, <laughs> all right? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Christ has come to give his people Sabbath, rest, Rest from what? Rest from our fruitless laboring to justify ourselves before God. Rest from carrying the heavy burden of our guilt for sin. Rest from a religion that forces us to do what we cannot do um, and don't even want to do in the first place. Come to me, says Jesus, and I'll give you Sabbath. I'll, I'll give you rest. It, it's to the weary, burdened consciences of men and women like us that Jesus offers this real rest of soul, relationship with God. 
through faith in the work of Christ, not a religion. Are you hearing this? And this gift of rest in Christ cannot be grasped by those who refuse to let go of their own religious efforts to justify themselves before God with their rule-keeping. And, and, and if you're here this morning and you're thinking, well, well, good heavens, that's me. Well, praise God, because he's letting you know in his word how gracious is our God, how kind is our God to let you know that you're living in a great defiance against him. Legalists prefer their love for rules over love for God and other people. And now Jesus is going to begin to explain to us. And, and as he leads his disciples here in Matthew 12, the, what it likes to walk the narrow way, the constricted way that leads to life, the way that keeps us from falling off the path into the, the deep, crevasse of, of legalism or, or license on the other side. Look, look at the Lord's great defense here. Verse 3, have you not read, you might circle that in your friend's Bible, have you not read what David did when he became hungry and his companions? Jesus turns these experts in the law back to the word of God, the Bible itself, to help them see how they've missed the heart of God for his people. When Jesus asks, haven't you read, he's not actually inquiring about their biblical literacy or, or whether they actually um, have spent time in the scrolls containing the words of God. Um, they know the Bible really well. But how many know you can be familiar with Scripture and still miss the heart of God? And, and that's what had happened with these Pharisees. Scripture is to do with the heart of God, not, not a quick list of rules to keep. So what, what does 1 Samuel 21 tell us about David and his companions uh, even before he became Israel's king? David wasn't king yet. He was the Lord's anointed. But, but in 1 Samuel 21, we're told that he's running for his life from Saul and he turns up hungry at the tabernacle, and, and he asks the priest for food. And, and the only bread on hand was the, the show bread, the, the bread of the presence. Twelve unleavened loaves placed on a covered table next to the Ark of the Covenant. And it symbolized what? It symbolized the covenant relationship between God and his people, the, the the table friendship, if you will, that existed between God and his people. And only the priests were to eat that bread and, and, and only when it was replaced with, with fresh bread. What a wonderful simple symbol this was. Israel is surrounded by pagan nations whose false, false gods always demanded constant offerings of food and stuff like that, always needy. The one true God, Yahweh, constantly reminded his people, I don't need anything from you. You're the ones in need. And I love you. And I've called you to be my people. And you will find your needs met in me. That's our relationship. What a, what a blessed reminder this was to God's people. 
And so Jesus' point in recalling this history is actually quite simple. It was not allowable for the showbread to be served as if it was some kind of a drive-through restaurant type thing. But that wasn't what was happening in the circumstance involving David. More important to the heart of God than that ceremonial prohibition against the, the use of that bread for, for anybody's food was that God didn't want David and his men to starve. God's purpose in the showbread was to convey a sense of his favorable presence with his people, to convey a sense of his gracious provision for his people, and neither purpose would be honored by depriving um, starving people um, the only bread that was available. That's Jesus' defense against the Pharisees. But here's, here's something that isn't just history for us. What is our great defense against legalism? I mean, I don't mean you guys, but the people in the second service who are legalistic about not coming early, that's for sure. Um, what, what is our great defense against legalism if this is a tendency of human beings in religion? Well, we're to search for the heart of God in his word rather than clinging to the letter of the law alone. And some of you hear that and you're thinking, I don't know if I should write that one down. That doesn't sound right. Do, do you not see in verse 4 of Matthew 12, Jesus admits straight up that this was not lawful for David to do. You are on shaky ground if your first question is the question of the Pharisees. Is it lawful? People sometimes come to our biblical counselors with, with this very question. Um, is this allowable? How close can I get to the boundary and still be square with God? Are you hearing this? Do you see how that's a pharisaical heart? We want to hear the heart of God in Scripture. So we ask him to show us his heart in Scripture, not just the, uh, the, the cold, rigid, wooden interpretation of it all. Jesus is, is making the same basic point in verse 5. Just, just look at the text. He says again, Have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? Think about what he's saying. God's people are not honoring the Sabbath uh, when they work and, and treat it as any other day. But, but what are the priests doing? Well, it was hardly a day of rest for them. They worked harder that day, arguably, than any other day. But such work was necessary so that God's purposes for his people at large could be met. Worship, consecration, rest. And so as you search for God's heart in his law, what, what do you always find? Listen, necessity and mercy Take priority over what? Over a cold, wooden interpretation of God's law. 
You mean I actually have to follow Jesus and ask him stuff? Yeah. You mean I can't just have a list of principles? I want you to notice that there's an even greater defense that Jesus makes against these defiant Pharisees. And in doing so, he really shows us our greatest defense against our tendency toward legalism. Look at verse 6. Jesus says to them, But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now that's four sermons at least. But, 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 here, but here's the deal. Jesus quoting from um, the words of the prophet Hosea, who was confronting God's people with what? Going through all the motions without actually loving God. And, and therefore missing the heart of God in his law. And, and this is the bombshell that these self-righteous Pharisees just simply cannot abide. Uh, how, you know, what could possibly be greater than the temple, which was the very symbol of God's presence with his people on planet Earth? Um, Jesus. Jesus is greater than the temple. Why? Be, Jesus, the man standing in front of them, and, and don't you have to wonder, like, what are they doing there anyway? We'll come back to that. Jesus does not symbolize God. Jesus is God. And this whole dispute, seemingly about the Sabbath, really is to do with, you know, who does this Jesus think he is? I mean, he struts around acting as if he wrote the law. What did Jesus say with respect to himself? Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He, and then we're told he was speaking of the temple of his body. He's talking about himself. Jesus is God's presence with his people, not a mere symbol. Jesus is God. And as God, he is Lord of everything. And by the way, you don't make him Lord. Don't believe the teaching that says, well, you, 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 you receive Jesus as Savior, then at some point you make him Lord of your life. You should repent of that. He's Lord of your life. And nobody makes him Lord, he just is. That's who he is. Jesus is God. One greater than the temple has come. And so Jesus says, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And these Pharisees knew exactly where Jesus was going with this son of man uh, business is not merely a statement of Jesus in his humanity. This is a very clear declaration of deity. He, he's the one whom um, Daniel prophesied in Daniel chapter 7. Listen to Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Daniel says, I was watching in the night visions and behold one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Daniel is allowed to foresee uh, and prophesy the, the ascension and enthronement of God's anointed king. Who's the king, according to Matthew's gospel? Jesus. Whose kingdom is it that is everlasting? Well, it, it's, it's the kingdom of Christ, isn't it? And the king has now come. And he's been saying to his people, what? You, you don't enter the kingdom by hoping against hope that you kept all the rules right. You've already blown it. You come to the kingdom, you come into the kingdom, Jesus says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he says, you know what? I've, I've come to reveal the heart of God to you. You who hunger for relationship with God, not religion, relationship with God, says the king, you'll, you'll find it in me. Not in spinning your wheels in your hopeless rule keeping. And, 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 and the horror of this Pharisaical mindset is that a person responds to that invitation from the king Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. People essentially saying, Well, we, we don't need this king because we have all these rules we made up about God instead. The cure for legalism is not to get rid of the law. Don't think that. The cure for legalism is to be rightly related to the lawgiver, Jesus Christ. Are you rightly related to the lawgiver who is Jesus? Have you come to him for rest from trying to justify yourself before God. So we have a great defiance. Legalism defies the heart of God. We have, we have a great defense. You, you go to the scriptures to, you know, it's a work of the spirit to enable us to hear the heart of God, uh, not merely some wooden interpretation of words. Come to Jesus you must relate to the lawgiver, trust him, follow him, not, not your own ideas about God's law. And so we never have to say to ourselves and others, well, it just seems to me that God is like this. It just seems to me that God would never do that. How many of you know this is the heart of God for his people? So here is Daniel's son of man strolling through the wheat fields of Galilee or barley fields perhaps on a, on a sunny Sabbath knowing that he is not only Lord of the Sabbath that he himself instituted at creation but he is Lord of the Sabbath of the exodus from Egypt. Just think about this for a minute. God rescued his enslaved people by the blood of the Passover lamb. Um, and and you, can, you, you, you just have to ask yourself, well, who is this Jesus? Does not the scripture tell us that he is the lamb of God who, who takes away the sins of his people? 
He is our Passover. And you think of that first Passover in, in Moses' day. What, what, a, what a strange thing for people who had been in bondage for 400 years. There certainly would have been a great range of faith among God's people. There, there would have been some with weak faith who had sprinkled the blood on the doorpost as told, and, and yet they laid awake all night worrying about it. And there would have been some with strong faith who, who sprinkled the, the blood on the doorpost as told and, and slept through the night just fine. But in the morning, what had happened? All who had faith, strong or weak, were delivered because the blood of the lamb did exactly what God said it was going to do. Are you hearing this? And so Jesus comes to you this day. And he says, come to me. I, I'm your lamb. I'm, I'm your Passover. It's my shed blood on Calvary's cross. Not your law keeping. Not your religious scruples. Just me. Come to me. I'll give you rest from all of that. Well, we've, we've got to end this thing somehow, don't we? Matthew shows us this, this great defiance. What a, what a great defiance legalism is. It looks, it looks right, doesn't it? It looks religious. It looks really churchy. It defies the heart of God. What, what hope do we have? We have Jesus. We have our king who is our great defense. And then Matthew now shows us, or I guess I should say Jesus does. He, show, he gives us a demonstration and all of these words start with D, and that's great, isn't it? But he, get, but he gives us a demonstration. Well, what does it look like then to, to walk the narrow way as one who has a heart to honor the law of God? In this case, the Sabbath law. Look at verse 9. It's, it's all been show and tell. Um, Jesus has been telling. Now, now he's going to show us what this looks like in real time. And departing from there... He went into their synagogue. Well, you can just imagine this. Come on, guys, let's go to church. I'm going to show you how this works. And behold, a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, saying, Is it lawful? There it is. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And, and he said to them, what man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable, then, is a man than a sheep? So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other. So Jesus takes the offensive here now. He's not, this is not playing defense anymore. Um, come to me, he says to the legalists. Let, let's go to church and I'm going to show you what this looks like. That's the last place that poor and needy people should ever hear, we can't help you right now, we're in church. Mark's gospel tells us that these Pharisees watched Jesus closely 
In other words, they're trying to find fault. How, how typical is that of the legalists who are just really, really making sure nobody's off course, right? Um, they want to entrap him. But do you know who's more angry than the Pharisees? Jesus is. Jesus is. Mark's gospel comes right out and says that, uh, Mark 3 and verse 5, and after looking around at them, say they're not the only ones looking, after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. So what, what makes Jesus angry? Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. What, what makes Jesus angry? Man-made religion that withholds the goodness and grace of God from other people. Even on a Sunday. Yeah. And Jesus is now training his disciples never to be those kinds of people. You see what these guys are doing, these Pharisees? Don't be like that. What are the disciples now doing with their Sabbath? Now, keep in mind, still under the strictures of the Mosaic law, well, they're with Jesus. Matthew's not collecting taxes. And Peter and John are not fishing. A Sabbath is now spent in, in the footsteps of Jesus. I wonder if that'll preach to us. They harbor no resentment that the Lord has interrupted their work. They're no longer living simply for income and position and all of that stuff. They're, they're trusting and they're resting in Jesus. And, and, and so it is with us. We, we do so on our Sabbath. When, when, when the early church set aside Sunday, not Saturday, the last day of the week, Sunday, the first day of the week, um, for rest and worship and caring for others, it did so acknowledging that a, a great change has occurred in the new covenant. The, the Jewish Sabbath spoke of a, a rest that was to come. I mean, you know, the Lord's Day acknowledges that this rest has come in Jesus Christ. The king is here. The kingdom has come. The king is coming again. The kingdom will be expressed one day in its fullness. And we gather on these Lord's Days, do we not? I think Daryl even said something about this earlier. Um, he's coming again. And we keep our gaze on the coming of our king and the rest that our souls have found in him. And so the way we keep our Lord's Day rest is also a demonstration of sorts, isn't it? It's a demonstration to the world that watches us of the rest that we've found in Christ. What, what is our echo of Jesus' teaching here? That, it, yeah, it's okay to heal on the Sabbath. Is it okay to do good things for other people on a Sunday? I think so. I think so. A Christian's rest is not a dreary obligation. It's not to do with scoring points with God. I pray you're not here this morning 
thinking that, boy, the, the people who go in early January, I mean, that's racking up some points, isn't it? I mean, don't, don't, don't think that. He scored all the points for us. And he's given us rest, amen? So our rest is a demonstration of our need for rest. It's a demonstration of our faith in the one who provides rest. And certainly, it's a demonstration of right priorities among the people whose hearts are right with God. Does that make sense? All right, let's, let's close. Father, we thank you so much for sending us your son to save us from the very kinds of burdensome, toiling lives that we read of here in Matthew 12. And yet, Lord, we we come to your word this morning, many of us thinking that but for grace, that's kind of how we are. And so, Lord, we need this reminder that for those who come to you, repentant, trusting in your work, your perfect law-keeping, we really do find rest. You've set us free from the bondage of legalism, and you've set us free from the danger of license. You've liberated us to walk that narrow way with you that leads to life. Lord, I pray that you would help us, that you would teach us as we are alone with you in your word that, Lord, we might hear your heart. And Lord, that you might give us faith to follow as you lead. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name.